Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, If you want to hear a sermon on the parable of uh, the shrewd manager, listen to the recording from Andrew's sermon this morning. Um, I'm not avoiding it, uh, although it is one to be avoided. Uh, uh, We are sticking with our series of preaching uh, through some some larger pieces of scripture. Uh, We started 1 Timothy last week with uh, Doug Webster, and so I'm picking up from there. Before I talk about Paul's first letter to Timothy, uh, I'll tell you about the story of uh, the, I guess it was the first year I was teaching. Um, my first master's degree is in English for the sake of uh, teaching rhetoric and composition. And as uh, my, it was my final year of graduate school, I got a teaching fellowship, which was a, a great thing to get because you get to teach and you get paid. You're sort of seen almost like faculty. You're on your own. You I mean, you have somebody looking over what's happening, but you're, you, you're in the class by yourself. You get to teach, write the curriculum, grade, etc. But in order to get this job, I had to take the least desirable class in the department. It's called English 414. And what it was is that the students at this school, San Francisco State University, failed their junior level writing proficiency exam. They had to take an upper division remedial course. And everybody, as you imagine, puts it off to the last minute. So some people are delayed a full semester of graduation taking this one class. Uh, so in order to get a teaching fellowship, I had to agree to teaching English 414 because uh, it was sort of the, the leftovers. And uh, the, my supervisor said, are you sure you want to do it? And I said, yes, I'm up for the challenge. I was 24 when the semester started, going on 25 during the middle of the term. And some of my students were way older than I was because it's sort of like a a non-traditional school and so green, you know? I mean, I had no idea looking back at what I was doing. Um, But I was earnest, you know, I was trying my best. And there was this one student who who told, she came to my uh, office the very beginning and said, I have to get an A in this class. I want to go to medical school. And I said, well, you can get an A if you earn it. You know, I'm not going to just give you an A. And so uh, anytime she wrote an essay, she got like an A minus or a B plus. She was in my office asking me like, what did I do wrong? How can I make up for it? And just the sort of bane of my existence. And she was older than me. You know, she was probably like mid to late 30s. And I thought this woman just thinks I'm a silly kid up here teaching this class. Um, and uh, the semester ended, and she, I think she ended with a, like an A minus. You know, she got an A, but it was an A minus. Um, and uh, I'm still thinking this lady hated me. And a, a, a year later, when I was teaching full time, now faculty, um, a little more experience, I get this email saying, Matt, uh, you might remember me, I was in your English 414 class. Um, your class convinced, it it brought up something in me that I lost, and um, I got back into writing. And I've decided not to go to medical school, and I'm applying to get an MFA in creative writing. Uh, Would you write one of my letters of recommendation? I thought, this is the woman that I thought hated my guts, you know? I mean, uh, and and to get an email like that, and I I mean, I had basically written her off. You know, I avoided her at all. At all costs, uh, anytime I sort of saw her coming my way to my office, I thought, golly, we're going to have another one of those conversations. But this is what was going on in her, and I had no clue, no clue, you know. Um, and, of course, it was my, my first time doing this, uh, so 
uh, I didn't know what to expect, that those kinds of things might happen. I tell you the story because uh, Paul's writing a letter to a pastor that's a lot like me when I was teaching English 414. You know, Timothy is younger um, and uh, Paul's older. He's his wiser mentor. Um, and and some, not everything that he writes about in 1 Timothy, but one thing that he does write about um, is, uh, you, you know, you never know. You never know who might be saved. Um, you know, English 414, this woman, I'm not talking about salvation here, but it's quite similar in terms of who's under your cure of souls. Uh, you just might never know. And there were some false teachings that seemed to be happening in Ephesus. I feel like now that we're teaching on epistles, I keep saying, Paul is responding to some false teachings. That's like often what is happening. Uh, and we don't know exactly what it is. We get some glimpses at, at what it might be. But one thing is for certain uh, is that there are some teachers in Ephesus who uh, seem exclusive and uh, what they're teaching about the Christian faith of who's in and uh, who's out. And this sort of mentality in Ephesus plays out in things like evangelism and also uh, with prayer. Uh, and Paul tells Timothy, the young Timothy, uh, Pastor Timothy, uh, this about prayer uh, because he's responding uh, to these false teachings that are happening in the same area. He says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, um, that God desires all to be saved and there's one true God with one true mediator who gave himself up as a ransom for all people. Basically, you, you never know who might come to faith. Uh, it's disappointing that these false teachers are being so sectarian and exclusive uh, in the way that they're uh, living in light of the gospel. They really aren't. You know, just consider the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. His response was quite similar. God put a call on his life to go to Nineveh uh, to preach the gospel. And Jonah said, no way, I'm not going there. Are you kidding? Uh, you, you, you must be talking about the wrong people. Uh, and, and Jonah tries everything to go in the opposite direction until finally, through massive intervention, gets Jonah to Nineveh to preach the gospel uh, to even those people. And Paul's reassuring Timothy of uh, the, that truth reassuring Timothy of that truth about the way that God works. I mean, even Paul himself, the guy writing the letter, had a surprising uh, conversion. Uh, he was just like the people in Nineveh, you know? Uh, the, the, the ones that people, the type of person they least expected uh, to come to faith, but God did not write Saul off who became Paul. And Paul knows this. This is in the background of the letter that he's writing. When I was in seminary, uh, I got in an argument um, with a guy about something, and he was uh, he was quite uh, progressive, and he actually he was uh, in charge of a movement called progressive evangelism. I don't really know what that means, but uh, uh, but he uh, he was talking about people who are sort of conservative Christians, and we were sort of having a little bit of a debate about something, and he said, uh, as far as I'm concerned, those people can all die. Uh, for all that I care, those people could all die. And I thought, golly, you know, I mean, uh, to, to not only write them off in terms of the faith, but I wish they would just go away and die, uh, was the sentiment that he had. So you, you see these kinds of things even now, uh, 
in the Christian church in different corners. And uh, it's not just among a progressive person like him. I mean, you know people across the spectrum who seem to have uh, maybe not that hyperbolic of a mentality about others, but uh, maybe similar. But all this gets even crazier when you consider what, what else Paul says in this passage. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Now, at the time, there were no Christians in positions of power. I mean, this isn't like, you know, Birmingham in the 21st century where there are Christians still, for now, uh, in power. This is Ephesus in like 60-something A.D. There are no Christians in power. You know, this is an underground church movement. As a matter of fact, the Roman emperor at the time was this guy named Nero. Have you heard of him and what he did? Around the same time, there was this great fire in Rome, and the city was burning for like six days, and some people were blaming it on him, and he used the Christians as a scapegoat and said, no, it was the Christians' fault. Uh, and uh, maybe just to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek because it was about the fire, he, he had the, some Christians dipped in wax, and, and, and this is the rumor, and, and torched, uh, lit on fire to be candles, basically, at his garden party. That's the emperor. Pray for all kings, Paul says. I mean, even someone like, uh, like Nero, this would be like urging the, uh, the Ephesians or us to, you know, pray for Kim Jong-un. You know, in North Korea, uh, pray for Bashar al-Assad in Syria or Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, uh, the guy who runs ISIS or the Castro brothers in Cuba or King Abdullah in Saudi Arabia. That It would be like saying that pray for the kings and those in high positions uh, or even worse. It would be like urging you personally to pray for the sort of the people, the specific people or organizations in your life who uh, rule over you. Um, you know, I have um, some quote-unquote kings uh, or quote-unquote queens, as it were. Really, queen. I want, it's not my wife, but there are some other <laughs> queens. Uh, by, it's not her at all. There are some other queens in my life who uh, are lording some uh, authority over me in my life right now. Uh, not here in the church, but in, in somewhere else. Uh, and I was uh, studying this. I was convicted. You know, like those are ex- those are precisely the people uh, that I need to be praying for. Uh, it's precisely those queens and and those kings that I need to be praying for. And you know, p- pray for me because uh, I'm a king to some people. My daughters, you know, uh, and uh, and often lording authority over them in ways that are are unreasonable. But you, but you probably have some dictators in your life. You know, I mean, it's easy to talk about, you know, what about the Hitlers or the um, Kim, Kim, Kim Jong-uns uh, because that's abstract. But, but what about you? You know, I mean, there are probably some dictators uh, in your life. Maybe it's a, a person or a group of people, maybe close to you, or maybe it's a, a corporation uh, or an organization who's... Uh, lording some authority over you, uh, and, and Paul saying, those are the people that we, be, we need to be praying for. You, you know, you never know. Uh, you never know. Um, but also, uh, in terms of you, maybe, you know, coming in here tonight to church, there's uh, some area of, uh, of guilt uh, or shame, uh, or maybe you have a troubled conscience 
about something. Uh, and maybe you have felt or currently feel unworthy of God's love yourself or unworthy of the prayers and love of, of other Christians. Uh, uh, maybe it's that close to home, actually. Um, and remember, if that's true, you know, I mean, if you're carrying something really crazy in here and you feel like, what am I doing in church? Uh, remember what Paul says to, to Timothy, that, uh, that God desires all people to be saved, even you and, uh, and that craziness that you're bringing here to church tonight. Uh, and also, you know, be assured about the people in your life. Uh, that, that, that are close, that, that might be lording authority over you, or there are things going on in their life that they have a troubled conscience, or there's something afflicting them, uh, that the, the evangelism, the bringing the good news to that type of person doesn't start with proselytizing. You know, the, the old go, go preach on a um, soapbox or sit next to someone, saddle up next to them and ask them if they've heard about Jesus. Evangelism, as Paul says here, doesn't start with that. It starts with praying. It starts with praying for them. Uh, and uh, even the most despicable dictators, you know, not just the Kim, Kim Jong-uns, but, but, but you and those who are closest to you. Did you uh, see yet the, the movie The Secret Life of Pets, uh, which is an animation? It's probably Pixar. You know what I'm talking about, at least? Maybe you've seen the commercial. Uh, uh, the, the trailer for The Secret Life of Pets. Um, basically, it's this movie about uh, pets in Manhattan, uh, and uh, it shows you what happens when, they leave, when the humans leave the house. They go crazy and party, and uh, um, all kinds of funny business happens. And there's a, there's a character in that film who's the sort of uh, villain, the antagonist, and his name is Snowball. <laughs> the villain's name is Snowball. He's a, he's a small rabbit who's voiced by the actor Kevin Hart. And he's the leader of this underground pact of escaped animals who live in the sewers, and they're called the flushed pets, you know, because some pets are flushed on the toilet, right? <laughs> and they hate human beings more than anything. Uh, what they want is to kill all the people. They, wanna, they want all the people to die. And Snowball, this little rabbit, is their leader. Uh, above everybody else, he's the one who wants all uh, types of people to die. <laughs> like my friend in seminary, you know? My friend in seminary was basically like a Snowball, the uh, rabbit. Um, but at the very end of the movie, he, uh, he's on the street in Manhattan, and uh, somehow his friends kind of get away without him, and he's, he's, you know, he's there on the street, and this little girl sees him, and she goes, oh, look at the cute bunny rabbit. Mommy, can I keep him? And uh, picks him up and uh, gives him a hug. And, you know, Snowball is a little tiny rabbit. She's hugging him, and he's, like, fighting. And we hear the, the English language voice that she can't understand because he's actually just speaking rabbit, you know, fighting this, resisting it. And she's hugging him, bunny rabbit, you know, loving him. And after... Uh, you know, what uh, is probably about 10 seconds only, he relaxes, and uh, he's been loved. And uh, th this dictator of the flushed pets, the king, uh, who rules uh, the nastiest pets in the sewer, is softened uh, by this act of mercy, uh, this act of grace and love. Uh, and it's, it's, that's the gospel. Uh, you know, I mean, that's basically... 
the way it is with us. That's the way it, it, it could have been and should have been for Nero, you know, uh, and, and we can hold out hope for even the, the, the dictators uh, in your life because God desires all types of people, even those whom we might exclude, uh, even you maybe with your troubled conscience. He desires all people to be saved. Amen.